When Elaine was a teenager, she found herself lovesick over the holidays, and she wrote about it in her diary. March 29th, 1972. Tonight was the first Seder. Happy Passover. I'm getting a little depressed about the fact that I don't have anyone here I like. Please, God, give me Russell for Passover. That's Elaine reading from her teenage diary. I'm Dan Meisner, and this... This, right now, is Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote As Kids. How are you doing tonight? It's very, very nice to see you. This is a show where we go back in time to remember the good, the bad, and the awkward parts of growing up. This time recorded live at the Walper Hotel in Kitchener, Ontario, we have an underwater love story, shopping for underwear and lotto tickets, an alternative interpretation of the three little pigs, and much more. This stuff is weird, it is wonderful, and it can help us understand who we are. So think about who you were when you were a kid, and stick around. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. We're going to hear a little bit of fiction right now. Our next reader, Jamie, is going to share a short story written in grade five. This is all about what he describes as a sad sack of a kid whose life is terrible. He assures us this bore no resemblance to himself at that age. Please welcome Jamie to the Grown Up Street Things They Wrote His Kids Stage. Martin sighed. It wasn't his day. It never was his day, according to him. (laughs) Martin had this theory that negative thinking brought positive results. (laughs) Martin thought for sure that he had failed his math test and told himself ten times over that if he didn't pass that test, then it would be the only one anyone would take notice of in his recordings. Reese's, recess, had been awful. Andy had called him hard ears and had taken his lunch, threatening to punch him in his hearing aid. Andy had Martin chosen as his favorite target. Dirty looks and hard fists was the only language he knew, and making friends with him was like taming a saber-toothed tiger. Well, school, S-C-O-L-E, I think I meant school, (laughs) was over. That was something to be thankful about. But now he had his sister to worry about. (laughs) She would be coming home from kindergarten any minute now. (laughs) And, And her cheery mood always served as a constant annoyance to him. 
And she would always give away the punchlines to all his jokes. And teased him frequently. Hi, fatty, I'm home. Martin opened his eyes wide. His sister was home. He dashed down the stairs just in time to see a little blonde streak of a dog fly through the open door and onto the street. Get that dog, called his father, as Jumper, the dog, ran out of sight. Martha, Martin's sister, stood at the door with a look of innocence so convincing that afterwards Martin could not bear to accuse her of Jumper's speedful sortie. <laughs> they got him back anyway. Supper that night was not too bad, even though Martin got a stomach ache. <laughs> the food was really very good, yet Martin's stomach didn't think so. So Martin said... His stomach was always giving him pain. Once he even seriously asked for a stomach transplant. <laughs> well, evening had come. He tried to watch TV, but his sister had other shows to watch, and since she was the youngest, she always won out. Then, when his sister finally went to bed, he found out that Jumper had to watch The Littlest Hobo. <laughs> and he... And his show-watching had to be postponed again, much to his dismay. Finally, he decided to go to bed to get ready for another awful day. Thank you. The funny thing is, Martin's quite a bit like me actually uh, but there's some details that are completely different so art imitates life but not exactly as is usually the case so uh, one of the things that got the biggest laugh the night of was actually Martin moaning about needing a stomach transplant the sad thing is seven years after I wrote that story I did need major abdominal surgery things had been seriously wrong I kind of knew it when I was 10, 11 uh, but I didn't really have words to say what needed to be done. And uh, I'm doing fine now. This is like years later. But uh, it's kind of sad reading it back. The rest of the story, I think when I was writing it, I was intentionally going for everything's awful. Uh, I'm not sure if that was a pose or not. I was kind of a serious little kid. And I think that stayed with me. I've always been able to see the dark side of life. And while I was criticized for that when I was a kid, I remember my mom saying, you are a pessimist. It's actually served me really well. Uh, in a funny kind of way, I'm a psychotherapist by trade right now, and I can go to the dark places with people without getting scared off. It doesn't freak me out. Um, it's sad, but I can also trust that they're going to get through it, just like Martin apparently got through his awful day and on to the next thing. So that's one thing that I recognize in myself from back then that I've actually made work really well for me here. In terms of what it was like to read uh, the night of, it was really neat to be able to tell a story from 30 years ago and actually have people hear it. 
and laugh with me, it took some of the sting out of it in some ways because there, there was a lot of stuff underneath the story that I knew about, but I could bring it to a room of people who could hear it with fresh ears and to see it in a completely different way. So there's, there was a lot of beauty in that. Like I said, I think I do have a bit of that tendency to see the, the dark spots in the world. But I've filled that out a lot over the years, so I'm, I think I've managed to, to balance that out and to see some of the beauty. I start from the dark and then I move to the light, and that's actually quite a nice progression. A big part of being a teenager is about coming of age and the rites of passage that mark the transition from adolescence to adulthood. Getting your driver's license, voting for the first time, getting a part-time job, those kinds of things. When our next reader, Stephanie, was 18, she kept a journal. And in it, she described a few of her own rites of passage. Since I have turned 18, I have been addicted to playing instant lottery tickets. I feel towards bingo and crossword tickets as most guys who turn of age feel about porn. (laughs) I have no desire to buy porn. It's like I have to do something to signify the age 18 because 18 is no longer as important as it used to be. Sure, I can vote, but I don't really care about politics at this point in my life. I am unable to drink and I still have to get my parents to sign permission slips. So lottery tickets it is. It's like my freedom for turning 18. They make me feel older and it feels especially good when the lady at the cashier asks for my identification. It feels so neat to be able to say, here you go, and then giving me the tickets and I walk out with a little bounce in my step. It doesn't matter if I win, that's just an added bonus. I'm worried though. I feel that I may become addicted to gambling. and then become one of those old ladies who hang out by the slot machines (laughs) and wait people to get off of them and then take their winnings. Or worse yet, I'll become one of those blue-haired bingo ladies with the different colored bingo dabbers and the trolls and all this caused by my need to feel older. (laughs) September 28, 1999. Today I went shopping for underwear. This was the first time that I have gotten to shop for underwear without my mother there. I was glad, because I feel that the type of underwear you wear often reflects your inner personality. (laughs) This time, I did not buy the usual pink and white ones with the flowers and butterflies, but I bought black lacy see-through ones. (laughs) The kind that my mother would have worn when she was my age. The kind that with age my mother has turned in for the Hanes no ride-up kind. (laughs) I believe that buying this type of underwear shows my sexual desires and my need to be noticed. 
I want to be able to stand out in the crowd, and even though many people won't be seeing me in this underwear, it makes me feel different. Especially when I notice another girl's underwear when she leans over and you can see down her pants. <laughs> Not that I'm looking, I just... <laughs> I'm just simply noticing. <laughs> I also feel that this type of underwear makes me feel older. Like the kind of woman who isn't tied down and is also sophisticated and needs to wear these types of underwear just in case she by chance meets somebody. She can't be wearing her old white ones. I feel the bras do the same thing. Wearing something sexy makes me feel special. Isn't it amazing what feelings underwear can create? Sometimes the things we wrote as kids can seem incredibly familiar and close. We revisit them and we feel this immediate connection to the kid who wrote them. We recognize ourselves in this stuff, like we've held up a mirror that traveled through time. But sometimes kid writing can also feel strangely distant. We can pick up a piece of writing from years ago and we can have a hard time making any connection at all between who we were then and who we are now. When Sue was in grade seven, she wrote a number of short essays for school. And at our Kitchener show, she shared a couple of them, including her opinions on women's liberation and her opinions on teachers. Please welcome Sue to the Grown Up Street Things They Wrote As Kids stage. Women's liberation, women fighting for their rights, but are they really? I mean, why don't they want to be treated like men? Why do they want to be treated like men? They're not built like men, so they're not equipped to handle a man's job. <laughs> if they do get to dig ditches, etc., they would just be wanting to be treated like a woman again. I would like to have doors opened for me and have ladies go first. They are really just asking for attention since they can already vote, to which I don't object. <laughs> and they can go and work in the business world. What more can they ask for? They can have babies and you don't see men wanting to. The women are just being selfish and not wanting men to have anything they can call their own. If God wanted all men, he wouldn't have made women. And my last, the last one is my opinion on teachers, which I think was aimed at the teacher who assigned this because he's not mentioned in it. I think teachers are a great necessity. Without them, we wouldn't be able to learn. They should keep up with the times, though, so they will be able to give a lesson in an interesting modern way and be able to understand a pupil's problems. They should have a sense of humor and not lose their temper quickly. This does not mean that they should let the pupil carry on, but not yell at them. This means that they should give him a serious warning and then yell. <laughs> a teacher should be carefree and use modern language. 
he should not be all uptight and boring. I think that a teacher should encourage a child and tell the pupil he is doing well when he is. The assignments a teacher gives should be interesting and fun to do. I think that letting a child teach and participate in the classroom is a good thing. I also like the idea in the team room right now with the reward system. This encourages the child to do good. All in all, I think a teacher should be fun and interesting. Thank you. Fun fact, Sue went on to be a teacher. Where I hope she shared her deeply progressive views with her students. After the show, Sue called in to tell me what it was like to revisit that grade seven writing and whether her opinions have changed over time. I was appalled actually, about my opinion on women's lib. Have they changed since then? I would have to say they have. My opinions on teachers haven't changed. I think they need to be engaging and, and upbeat, and I feel like the teacher that gave us that assignment was absolutely not those things, and so that's why I, uh, sent those messages via my writing. Um, Do I recognize any of who I am today in that childhood writing? Perhaps. None of the women's lip stuff. No, no, no. There's none of me in that. My opinions on teachers, that's typically something I would do again today is sort of uh, surreptitiously send a message to someone without actually giving them the message, if you get my drift. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. If you ever read teen magazines in the early 90s, there is a very good chance that Jonathan Brandis was on the cover. Now, if you don't know Jonathan Brandis, he was a child actor who went on to become kind of a teen heartthrob. He starred in the TV series Sequest. Now, Sequest ran from 1993 to 1996. It was an underwater science fiction show that took place on a submarine. It featured not only Jonathan Brandis, but also a super intelligent dolphin named Darwin who could communicate with the crew through a computer. Our next reader, Tannis, is going to read a short story written at about nine years old that involves teen heartthrob Jonathan Brandis from Sequest. We're also going to hear a short piece of writing that might be a song, might be a poem. It's not entirely clear. And this is a piece written about a boy she had a crush on at age 10. Please welcome Tannis to the Grown Up Street Things Saver this Kids Stage. Dana, Dana, what, I said, 
I turned around and I was staring into the dark eyes of the one and only Jonathan Brandis from Sequest. <laughs> I knew I would find you here, he said. Oops, I said, I forgot we had a date tonight. <laughs> it's okay, he replied, but let's get going. I hopped into the bright red Corvette. I thought tonight maybe we could go see Darwin. Sure, I said, Darwin is the dolphin from the Sequest. <laughs> I love Darwin. He is so cute, he even talks. When we got to the aquarium, where they keep all the whales and dolphins from TV shows and movies, I hopped out, making sure to lock the door. I ran inside to see Darwin. There he was, the same as always. Jonathan said, he's beautiful, isn't he? Just like you. John, John you're too much, I said, tickling him. Stop, stop, he cried. He leaned over and kissed me on the lips. He was so dreamy. Dana, he said, seriously, will you? He reached into his pocket and pulled out a small case. He opened it up and there was a diamond ring. Marry me, he finished. Yeah, Dana, what? I was being shaken. I opened my eyes and there was my teacher staring at me. Were you daydreaming again? Yes, I admitted. Oops, I guess it's not true. Oh well, I know I will dream about him again tomorrow. At least it's something to look forward to. <laughs> this one is entitled Chance in Me. I did not change the name, so sorry, Chance. I had this dream that I had a boyfriend. His name is Chance, and I like him a lot. He's nice and cute, so he stands out. And when I'm with him, I feel so glad. Chance and me, we travel around the world, for there's so much to see. And I would never give him up for all the dolphins in the world. <laughs> for I just want to be Chance and me. I know it's hard to care for a boy, but he'll, but he'll protect me from winter's chill. <laughs> oh, what a dream. Could it come true? Will I be with Chance and ride with him over the hills? And I would never give him up for all the dolphins in the world. For I just want to be Chance and me. For I just want to be Chance and me. Thank you. <laughs> Honest question, is being favorably compared to a dolphin a compliment? <laughs> when Nadia was 14, she had her first boyfriend. And at our Kitchener show, she shared a few selections from her journal that chronicle their relationship. Please welcome Nadia to our stage. A quick heads up, Nadia uses some cuss words in her journal, which we do not bleep. Monday, April 19th, 2004. Aw, oh, so many people broke up today. <laughs> Riley broke up with Britt, Martin broke up with Aaron B, but Aaron was about to, to do it anyways, LOL. <laughs> 
Only Aaron told Martin that I like him and might want to go out with him, but I don't know, like, they just broke up. (laughs) And I want to have some fun in a relationship. Like, fuck, Freddie and Alex went out for four months and hardly even talked. (laughs) I want at least to get to second base with someone. (laughs) At this point, I don't care with who, as long as it's a somewhat nice and good person (laughs) that I can have a talk with them and they would understand what I'm saying. Like, God, this grade school bullshit is really pissing me off. Like fuck, get over yourselves, people. (laughs) May 3rd. Seven weeks till the end of school. Martin's birthday is May 30th. 27 days until that. Mount Mary is soon. Making out there, hopefully. Martin equals making out. Nadia equals making out. Nadia plus Martin equals making out. Oh my god, I never said this, but my first kiss was the 23rd of April with Martin in my basement with Lisa on the computer, lol. (laughs) She was about to tell us an MSN name that was a peach is a peach, a plum is a plum, a kiss ain't a kiss without some tongue. So open your mouth and close your eyes and give your tongue some exercise. Lisa looked back, us not knowing, looked at the MSN name again and burst out laughing. We only stopped kissing because I freaked out because I heard my mom and Tanya upstairs. (laughs) May 13th. On Thursday, Martin came over and we chilled for a while. (laughs) My dad said he wasn't coming home until 10 p.m. and he scared the shit out of me because he came home for like 20 minutes. Martin was over. (laughs) I was so embarrassed because I never told my dad about Martin. I had to bike Martin home. It was pouring rain. It was very hard to change out of my clothes. Today was our track meet for school. It was a fucking bitch. (laughs) It was so goddamn hot. My legs got burnt and I sort of have a farmer's tan. I don't think I'm gonna go to area for it. Oh well. Final entry, June 5th. Okay, so Martin and I apparently broke up on the phone. (laughs) That's what I hear, whatever. (laughs) We aren't going out anymore, but I don't really know why. I was really looking at my chat logs on MSN. When Martin asked me out on the net, it was after I said I was a little bit horny. (laughs) Now that I think of it, he's a huge asshole. That... I still fucking like. I hate it. He said that he still wants to talk to me and be friends, unlike him and Aaron B. They deleted each other right after they broke up and had a huge fight. I was listening to depressing songs all morning and cried, but when Martin logged on, 
I laughed because I realized that there is no point in crying over him because it's not like I'm going to marry him and I'm only 14 and there's so many other guys out there and it would be really great to me, but... <laughs> that would be really great with me, but I am stuck with this fucking ass. I just, I just want to have a little side note. Um, I started dating my current husband uh, three months later and have been with him ever since. <laughs> Howdy, everybody. Make some noise if you ever dumped or got dumped by somebody over the telephone. Our next reader, Sean, shared what you could call a reinterpretation of a classic folktale. It's titled My Version of the Three Little Pigs. It is fully illustrated in crayon. And just a heads up, this was written at eight years old, and it's a little more violent than the three little pigs you're used to. Please welcome Sean to our stage. So my version of the three little pigs, and it has three pigs. Uh, They are Donald ducking it, meaning they have shirts and no pants. (laughs) My version of the three little pigs by Sean Kaufman. And there is another illustration that is a little bit of a teaser. It's a pig with a gun. Copyright 1991 at Parkside School, grade two, for my friend Jeffrey. And it has a picture of, I'm pretty sure it's a wolf, but as we'll see, I was a little confused about that. (laughs) Once upon a time in Barfland, where animals can talk, there lived three little pigs and a fox. And there's an illustration, and it's three uh, pigs and uh, a Fox. Um, He's very brown. Um, And he also has a crop top on and jean shorts. (laughs) All the pigs had was a straw house and three Uzis. And there's a picture of a house with a lot of windows and three guns. One day, the fox went to the pig's house and barfed. And the barf dissolved the house. And there's the house with pink at the bottom that's supposed to be barf. It's oozy. And the pigs got mad and shot the fox. And there's a pig shooting a fox. Or a wolf, whatever. They're smiling, by the way. All of a sudden, 65 foxes charged in and started barfing. And there's... There's not 65, but there's a bunch of wolf heads, and, and there's, a little, there's a little bubble, and it says, let's go, men. <laughs> the pigs fought and fought until they won, and there's a pig uh, punching a fox, um, and there's like a little divot where he's getting punched, and he says, mama. 
but we need a house, said one of the pigs, and he's thinking of a barn, and he says, we need a house. Both pigs said, you're right, and here they are saying, you're right. They searched and searched for a house, but they could not find one. And there's a pig, and he says, can I live here? And the house says, no, and it's, it's supposed to be a doghouse because it has a spike on it. <laughs> so they went to Farmer Ben's farm and lived happily till a fox barfed the end. <laughs> and there's a fence with the three pigs. And, and then there's a biography. Sean Kaufman is eight years old. He was born in Ontario, Canada. He lives in Goshen, Indiana with his parents and his brother, Joel. Sean hopes to be an inventor someday. And there's a picture. Thanks. I'm no literary scholar, but if there is a better opening line than Once Upon a Time in Barfland, I don't know what it is. That is grown-ups read things they wrote as kids. Our show was recorded live at the Walper Hotel in Kitchener, Ontario, and produced by Jenna Meisner. Olivia Nashmi is our associate producer. Our music is by Poddington Bear and Lullatone. Our closing theme is Oh Dear Diary by Sloan. If you enjoyed this episode of Grown-ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids, tell somebody about the show. I'm Dan Meisner. Thanks for listening. This grade school bullshit is really pissing me off. <laughs> <laughs>